This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault, and today we're having a special post-summer moratorium uh, on what the movie industry was like. Today I am joined by my good friend Sammy Felchenfeld, who you may remember from our uh, Canadian Directors episode. How are you doing today, Sammy? I am doing great and ready to talk about the story state of the box office. I am so glad that you're back, and uh, I know you have lots to say. I always have lots to say. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. Uh, Okay, so I guess we'll kind of talk about one of the big things that through the end of August was was really common, whereas we were getting all these sort of uh, death knell articles about how the movie industry was dying. There were, you know, hilariously, two really bad weeks for the movie industry. And it seemed like every publication in the world was writing its obituary, Hollywood's obituary. Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it's, it's one of those things where one little dip means everyone has to instantly freak out. Um, yes, it was bad. And I think by all accounts, this was still a bad box office summer, especially towards the end. But you're right. It was, it was really a few weeks. Um, but I think people saw that, oh, uh, the, the whole box office weekend didn't do that so well. But you know what? People, th- for the longest time, uh, studios don't release terribly great films in August. It's sort of a well-known thing. Yeah, that that is true. You know, the summer season used to very much be uh, June, July, August. And then it seems like every year they try to inch it up a week or so because it, it first started where the end of May, uh, that long weekend was, you know, the start of summer season. And then there'd be a movie, you know, mid to late May, a big tentpole one. Yeah. And suddenly it's like basically creeping up to almost the beginning of May is the start of summer season. And summer movie season basically ends with whatever mid July superhero movie comes out. And after that, you're into the fall season. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, though, just as a point on this, last year, I was very cognizant of the fact that uh, that Batman versus Superman came out in March. And I think they were really trying to push uh, a very, very early summer season. And we all know how well that movie did. So we won't speak of it again today. But um, (laughs) I think you're right that the season the season is definitely changing. And I think that people just don't remember or realize that August is sort of a, a a dead land. I specifically remember when Scott Pilgrim came out, which is one of my favorite movies. And I was thrilled because it was coming out with pretty much no competition. It still didn't do that great, but it was the definition of an August movie, a movie that people will still like, but not a lot of people are going to go see. Yeah, there's a there's a very weird thing. I think for for people like you or me who kind of pay attention to the movie calendar, it really is uh, a very hard calendar nowadays where everything is so strategically planned um from i guess you could really say the movie year really starts with the summer movie season so you'll have like the one or two big movies that come out whether it's march or april but then it really starts in earnest in may runs through the end of july early august and then from august september it's basically no man's land where it's just the dumping ground and then you get into kind of like the post festival award contender season of 
October, November, December, January. And then from like mid January yeah. up until, you know, mid to late March, it's once again dumping season. And so when you're looking yeah. for a movie to go in either September, beginning of September or February, there's nothing good to see. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think, and I think that that really speaks to, I mean, the top, uh, the top five worldwide grosses. I, I tend to look at worldwide because, um, I think that North America is definitely important in the box office, but uh, worldwide it paints a different picture now even than two years ago. Um, Beauty and the Beast is the number one movie in the world and, and in North America, um, and, it, uh, and it's done quite well for itself, and that came out in March as well. Fate of the Furious could be on the cusp of a summer movie, and then Despicable Me, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man Homecoming, Wonder Woman, all these top movies. Um, they are very much, they are very much um, summer movies. But then... Just to jump on this, and this is this is like you said that everyone's just sort of ringing a death knell about this. Pirates of the Caribbean Five, by no means a movie I had any interest in seeing, and I did not see. Um, it grossed almost eight hundred million dollars, but eighty percent of that was overseas. So I think that that when people instantly look at the box office in the last few weeks and say it's abysmal, they're not looking at the at the international picture. No, it it really has sort of become Hollywood is is your main market and audience. And that's where all the sort of spin kind of comes into play is how you market these movies. But then once you're done sort of telling whatever story you need to, uh, the real the real story is the fact that a lot of these movies are being made for for Chinese audiences where they only allow something like 20 Hollywood movies a year. So they have to be as inoffensive as possible. And so that's why we get these really bland sequels where they're formulaic. The humor is, you know, pretty lowest common denominator with visual action set pieces because, you know, you don't need a language translation to understand action and things like that. Uh, and all these movies make money in China and to a lesser extent places like Japan, Korea, India, where there's a sort of emerging market, but it's really all about the yeah. Chinese market. And I think what's also interesting, along with the that twenty movies a year or something, that's why so many of these those uh, those sequels are toothless, is because they're um, being supported in a significant amount by Chinese um, funding or production, which allows them to get to to evade that. Um, that barrier. So certain movies, I think I remember uh, Baby Driver, which was a great movie from this year, uh, only came out in China, I think, a couple weeks ago, um, because there, there was zero there was zero Chinese financing or production in it, which means it just had to enter that queue of eventually it'll make it to to China. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that that's and I think that's a bigger conversation, perhaps a whole other podcast on just the, the influence as we've seen it grow in the last few years, I think when it began with um, the last Fast and the Furious movie, um, with it being such a massive hit there, and what that impact kind of rolling forward was. Um, but I think that one thing I do want to address from this summer is that I think people are taking things a little bit too far. Um, I, I think that there's been a, a deeper conversation of, oh, a movie didn't do well, or a movie was a flop. Um, both... Uh, well, specifically, Valerian is one of my favorite movies from this summer. Um, that's okay if a million people disagree with me. I disagree with me. I just thought it was super fun, um, and it didn't do well. But at the same time, the the production company basically said all of their pre sales, all of their distribution deals, paid for the movie, so they weren't that worried about it. 
But all of this, especially the North American and the, the French media was saying this is a huge flop. Luc Besson won't make a move, another sci-fi movie, all these things. Whereas, yeah, they didn't do great. I don't think it's timing in the year had anything to do with it. Um, I think that just people's tastes are always different. And whatever is cool right now may not be cool in the future. It may not have been cool in the past. I think it just... And I mean, I will admit it's not the greatest film in the in the world either. But I think that that people sort of look at that and say, "Oh, it was a summer movie, so it had to do a certain amount of business." Just like Star Trek, the last Star Trek movie as well. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting topic that doesn't really have much of a clear answer. But you know, a big part of it is studios are just making flat out bad movies a lot of these like big yeah. budget tent poles like to 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 say definitively that good movies are not being made anymore is just an absolute joke because that's not true the difference is you're not seeing these types of movies with the mega budget every once in a while you'll get something like dunkirk where you have a director who was able to make himself a, a blank check with the success of the batman movies to be able to do yeah. what he wants and, and dunkirk has done fantastically but he's, you know, the real rarity. You have a few other directors who are maybe able to get their movie out once every two or three years. You have people like James Cameron. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on some other names. In the comedy world, you have someone like Todd Phillips, who did the Hangover movies. Mm-hmm. Who They're able to do a movie that's so successful for their studio that they kind of get carte blanche to do what they want. But that's so rare for almost everyone, right. everyone else. You look at most of these directors of these uh, movies that there's five, six movies in their series, they're basically hiring newbies to direct them. I don't know. I think it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting point specifically to like Dunkirk. I was looking. It did, it did reasonably well. The budget was $100 million, so it's not massive, but it's still large. Um, but I think that, that I think you're absolutely right it's, that there, Hollywood is still making some great movies and some studios – um, I will, I will make no mistake that I'm a huge Disney fan and I, I think that they've actually done some really good work with Marvel and Lucasfilm. Um, they put the work in to make sure the movie is both as good as it can be critically, but also will sell well. Obvious, obvious, um, indication of that is Star Wars Force Awakens, which is obviously the, the, one of the biggest movies ever. And also, of course, a movie that, uh, looking at this chart right now, it did 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but also it wasn't a summer movie. So it was sort of just make a good movie, put it at one of the two times of the year people love to go to see them, see movies and put a lot of love behind it. And of course that, that's also backed up by JJ Abrams coming back to do Star, Star Wars 9. Um, so I think it's, I think that, that people are making effort. I think, um, I think on the other side of things, Warner Brothers really needs to get their act together. Um, possibly Sony as well, but they're, Sony is making good small movies. Um, Warner Brothers seems to be relying on tent poles that don't make sense. And I think that the 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 media is dumbing, dumbing it down to a point of basically saying Rotten Tomatoes is ruining Hollywood, not Hollywood is making bad movies as much. Yeah, it's, you know, whether it's the advent of TV or VHS movies or, you know, home movie rental stores or streaming, whatever is the fad of the day, if you want to call it that, studios will try to blame them for them putting out bad movies. Well, so maybe let's talk about MoviePass now then. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know where there's a bit of a tangent. We we're going to talk about this later, but I think this is a great segue. Uh, there's this company called MoviePass where the, uh, one of the CEOs of Netflix invested heavily into it, where originally for $50 a month, you could see one movie a day 
every day, theoretically, they decided to slash their prices to $10. And looking at an article today, they now have 400,000 subscribers, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, for the price of Netflix a month, you can go out to the movies. You know, I'm not going to lie on this podcast. When I go to movies, I try not to buy snacks there. That's where they get you. You know, I'll go to a mm-hmm. shopper's or a convenience store first, buy a bottle of water, buy my bag of candy and sneak that in. And, you know, I'm only or, paying or for full sandwiches of movies. as we've done. Yes. Yeah. It seemed like a whole picnic when, when we go to the movies. Yeah. Um, and so I think. This idea of paying $10 a month, what you pay for your Netflix subscription is so appealing to our generation because it's, while the cost of the movies these days are absolutely ridiculous, it's everything else on top of it that just makes going to the movies so unpalatable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what's interesting is that, um, this, the, I think people, a lot of people don't know how the system works and, and this is the basic version that I understand it. It's only in America. You sign up for MoviePass ten dollars a month. You get a debit card, and the way the debit card works is that you go into the MoviePass app. You basically choose the exact film you want to see at the theater near you. Then it's um, it basically adds that exact amount of money to that that deb- debit card, um, which you then go and purchase the movie ticket with. So of course, right away, all the cinema chains in the states started freaking out, saying, "Oh, we're not going to get as much money." But the truth is, at the end of the day, they're getting the exact same amount of money they would have always gotten. Um, and what it is instead is MoviePass is selling everyone's information in terms of what movies they go to. So there's no, not even personal information other than demographic stuff. It's just saying, oh, this 35-year-old uh, male living in New York City happens to go to seven movies a month. Um, this is th- These are the kinds of things they do. And I think it's also going to be interesting what this could show. 400,000 people is a great number to say in, in summer 2018, hey, you know what? People aren't going to the movies in summer as much. And that could be something that they discover. Um, but I think it's interesting that that same thing with the media is right away they say, oh, MoviePass is going to destroy the movie industry. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think one of the big issues where decline, people declining to go to the movies so much is because of the cost for a single movie and whatever the add-ons. You know, if you're thinking of going – on a date with your partner, two people going, you're minimum looking to spend $40. If you've got like uh, a partner and two kids, you're looking at $100 just for a night out. So this idea of if you're going to the movie, you better make damn sure you know what to expect, that you're not going to waste your money on a bad movie. So that's why you get a lot of these yeah. bland movies because you at least know, okay, I'll at least find the action somewhat entertaining or I'll at least find this type of humor mildly funny or whatever is the genre, you'll at least get the bare minimum requirement of enjoyment out of it that you won't feel like it's a total waste. Whereas if you're going once a month or every other week, you're going to see some duds. So with this eliminate, what this eliminates is that sort of variable that, oh, I'm spending $13, $15 for myself. How do I ensure that I'm getting my money's worth? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, the, the people like we're, we're still in a society where lots of people are movie buffs, so they don't want to wait till it's out on video. There's, I begrudgingly, I'm bringing it up again. I begrudgingly saw Batman versus Superman theaters because I've, I'm a lifelong long Superman fan. But I mean, I really 
I mean, I do own the Blu-ray, but I really do wish that I had waited and not wasted the money on that because then it supported its box office gross. Um, <laughs> but you're right. I think it's going to, it's 400,000 is not enough to make a dent in the data, but I think the data you, they receive from that is going to be very telling next summer once about a year has, has passed in, in it. Um, and I think that, that that also speaks to just how people are planning their, how studios are starting to plan their futures. I think, I don't remember a time when so many movies were planned so far in the future. And these are, of course, franchises more than anything. We know there's Marvel movies for another three or four years. Warner Brothers has more DC movies. We know there's more of these Harry Potter spinoffs. There's always franchises that are so planned, and the, the dates that they're chosen for is planned. Another case for Star Wars. It was booked, Star Wars 9 was booked for May, moved to December, like the two previous in this trilogy, which makes sense because it's going to make a bunch of money again. Um, so what I think is, is an interesting thing is that I think, I think what really needs to happen, and this is, I guess, it just occurred to me right now, is that there needs to be a kind of a new way of thinking instead of just looking at the box office weekend um, and looking at the certain time of year and say, oh, the box office is falling apart. Because studios are still doing amazing and people are still going to movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned it earlier and I'm going to bring up another example as well, but two examples, one, the first being Dunkirk, this idea that you can have a mid-level budget as far as movies go, do very well because it's a good movie. You have good word of mouth. Yeah. And then you also have another movie that just came out after this, you know, dire August was it where it got rave reviews, great word of mouth. And it's was have it's, I think it's now the highest, it had the highest grossing R rated opening of all time. Uh, yeah. and the highest, uh, horror movie opening of all time, beating a record that I believe used to belong to the exorcist back in the seventies, which is insane that that record has lasted so long. So you have yeah. these two movies sort of bookending each other as far as good quality, good word of mouth, good critical reception, and people are actually going out and buying tickets to see it. So you can't give me this bullshit line that so-and-so was killing the movies and this is ruining us. No, make better movies and people will go. Yeah. I, I will say, though, I think part of its charm, I'd say a portion of that 120-something million, which was stellar, was kind of people waiting over a month for a good movie that was worth seeing. Um, and I think that that what's interesting about that is that people were still going to Wonder Woman a month ago after it had been out for three months already. Um, so, so I think that, 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 I don't think that's a big, big chunk. I think that's maybe less than 10%. I'm not a horror film person. I've never read the book. I'm not a huge Stephen King guy, so I'm not going to see it. Um, but then added to the it kind of phenomenon is that another Stephen King ad adaptation earlier this summer was a total flop, which was uh, The Dark Tower. Um, and that, and, and so I think even that Stephen King fans were saying, okay, I need to, there needs to be a great Stephen King movie. And there's all these factors that play into it. But at the end of the day, it could have come out two weeks ago. And I think it would have done just as well. And we wouldn't be having the same kind of conversation. Um, so I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to do with good films. I think people are, are, I think sequel fatigue has always been a thing, but I think it's getting really intense. There's going to be from now on, there's going to be anywhere between three and five Marvel movies. There's going to be uh, between two and three DC movies every year. That's eight or so superhero movies. Most of my friends don't know that they're in different universes, which hurts me, but it's okay. Um, just <laughs> And so I think that some people are like, oh, I was just in the theater last week to see Spider-Man. Why am I going next week to see um, the, the Flash movie or whatever? So I think that people are, are, are really looking for movies that, that, that are good and a bit more unique. Yeah. Yeah. Um... 
it's sort of this weird limbo thing because you, you talked about between the DC and the Marvel movies and how that's going to be at least eight movies plus, you know, at least one Star Wars, probably a Fast and the Furious. And then in alternating years, you'll probably have things like, uh, Star Trek or Harry Potter or James Bond. So yep. in any given year, you're having at least 10 movies of very well known properties. And that's only the start of it. But those movies have to be good. Look at look at the last two Bond movies. Skyfall was incredible. Inspector was not. And then the mm-hmm. box office take proves that. So you can't just lean in on franchises and hope for the best. Yeah. James Bond is probably the one that will definitely be able to keep going, even if it's bad or not. Same as sort of with Star Wars. But I think Star Wars is sort of insulating itself around uh, making sure it's never bad. But then you have things like yeah. the supposed monster universe that started with the mummy. If the next one is as poorly performing as the mummy, they're not going to continue that. If the DC yeah. universe, obviously they need to keep making these movies to retain the right. But if they're not working they're definitely gonna scrap it all well i was just gonna say i was gonna bring it back to sort of where where the summer blockbuster came from that uh, yes franchises have sort of really since the 70s franchises have been a big part of it but but looking at the list these are really good franchise movies um so sorry to kind of change gears to that everyone sort of knows that jaws was one of the first blockbusters it was a summer movie it was a massive hit it was one of those movies that really got people going back to the theater over and over again a couple years later, you have Star Wars came out in May of 77. Same thing. Um, this is, of course, uh, A New Hope, the first one. Um, people went numerous times. I, bo- I know both my parents. They didn't know each other yet, but they both went at least two or three times to see Star Wars. And this started this trend of these great movies. Um, the top summer blockbusters in 1980 and 1983 were also Star Wars movies. And then we're seeing Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, um, all these franchises coming about. But there's a drop-off, I'd say, in the late 90s. Um, <laughs> starting with Armageddon, which is not really a movie I, I love that much, uh, where these, even though they're still franchises, they're, the quality really dips. Um, and so people are just kind of trained to go to the movies in the summer to see the next big sequel, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a good movie. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. And it's this, it's this weird thing, like... This idea of, of sequels and spinoffs and things like that is not new. I know, I know every once in a while I'll hear someone be like, Oh, the last few years are so many sequels and spinoffs. And like, if you look at the history of Hollywood movies, this is not a new thing. Uh, you look at something no, like, um, the Thin Man series, which was MGM's biggest hits for like 20 years where i don't know how many of those movies they made where the first one the first one or two are supposedly excellent i unfortunately haven't seen them and then it's just really derivative after that and then you have like a million it it had a lot to do with like the different comedians kind of having their own series you have people like uh mickey rooney who had his own series of movies or the marx brothers or things like that or the different monster movies the abbott and costello whatever it is they're were a million of these movies all with the exact same plots with just a different name on it. Um, so this idea of, of sequels or universes or whatever that is, is not new. No, it's definitely not. I think people latch onto it because for, 
for the first time, the studios are calling it what it is from the get-go. The Dark Universe from Universal with The Mummy, I don't see it lasting more than a movie or two. Um, unless Bride of Frankenstein, which is the next movie, is, is amazing, which I doubt it will be because nobody's really interested in that. DC, The DC and Warner Brothers movies are the same issues. But you're absolutely right. X-Men has been around for nearly 20 years. And it's not that it started a universe, but it did start a major franchises, franchise. Super, superhero movies have been around for a very long time, and they've always been a favorite. Uh, every time a, a book series comes out people like, it usually gets made into movies, but it tends not to be the, the more young adult fiction we've seen in the last uh, 15, 20 years, and more just uh, like kind of big, I'd say Lord of the Rings is, is sort of on its own in that, in that category, but more dramatic trilogies or, or se- book series too. But I don't know, I think it's easy for people to say there's no original movies, there's no good movies coming out, and truthfully, if you look at the last... Uh, 40 years of, of blockbusters. I'm looking at a list of them right now. There's only a handful that are completely original, so not an adaptation, not a sequel, um, and uh, or not a remake. So there's a stretch in the 90s where it was Independence Day, Titanic, and Armageddon were the were the the biggest uh, hits, and two of those were summer movies, and and they were all original. Um, then there's then there's a stretch of Amazingly, Ghost in 1990 was the biggest movie of the year, also a summer movie. Um, and the further back you go, you see the starts of franchises that are completely original, whereas, again, the top grossers are adaptations or remakes or sequels. Um, that said, though, I think it's, as we've seen with some franchises, you can make good movies in those. Um, but I think that the, the, that, I think even some filmgoers are basically saying, I just want something original. And that was the feeling I got when I first saw Inside Out. It occurred to me I hadn't seen a non-sequel non-remake non-adaptation in a really long time and it was refreshing but it's not like something i need to enjoy a movie mm-hmm. yeah you always look at the the top 10 box office grosses and it seems like there's always you know maybe one movie that sort of sneaks in there like an inside out that's a wholly original concept that is very refreshing to see um but that's just not usually what the the average theater goer is looking for they want familiarity yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that's why certain animated movies, no matter how ridiculous they might seem, will always do well. I'm noting this, for instance, uh, this year's movie, The Boss Baby, is number 11 on, on 2017 domestic. Um, if it was still running, it, it, it's a very, very close to getting number 10, which interestingly is Get Out, probably the most original of the top top 10 uh, movies this year by far. I'd say Dunkirk is fairly original too, which is a bit higher, but um People, it's the same thing, probably with Get Out as well. I think people are gravitating towards horror and good horror and well-written and well-made horror as well. But um, yeah, I think it's, I think the bigger conversation then maybe coming back to why everyone is talking about how this has been a terrible summer for Hollywood and what that means and everything is that maybe this, I don't know if it's studios or if it's media or if it's audiences, somewhere between the three of those, specifically in the North American kind of box office realm, someone's not happy and people aren't going to people aren't going to movies to the same extent and i don't really know what the solution is to that because it's not our job to to solve it for all these multi-billion dollar companies um but i think it's just an interesting thought i'm, I'm looking at this uh hollywood uh reporter article which you can link in the when you post this um specifically that talks about it says the very top summer box office su- suffers historic decline in u.s and then the next sub subtitles good news international returns help re- rescue tentpoles and so it's sort of a, I think it's a, a weird kind of conversation. Yeah, it doesn't really, 
makes sense. I think the the idea of sensationalism is is always sort of popular to to talk about, and that's definitely what all this has been about. Um, but you know, you look at the three images they chose. Um, two of them being really weird uh, beginnings with the mummy and the dark tower. They're supposed to be these franchise launching movies and both of them kind of bombed and then transformers, which has never been about being uh, very well critically received. It's always been about doing well overseas. That's the entire yeah. point of the franchise. So like, it's such a, a weird thing to think about where like, I, I don't even know. I don't even I can't even formulate an opinion over what they're trying to sell us right now. I think that what the, the, I honestly, I think that they're trying to scare people into going to see movies a little bit. Um, and I think that there's like, I don't know. It's some of my favorite movies. I just looked up on box office mojo children of men. It's not a summer movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Didn't do great, but it was critically loved and it, it did, it did quite well in, um, in home release as well, but that people don't look at that in the same extent. But if Children of Men had come out now, probably would have been a huge, huge flop. It, it total domestic was thirty five million, which isn't great. But that's also ten years ago, so it's hard to say what that would have looked like now. Alfonso Cuarón was a bit more of a an unknown quantity then. Um, but it's interesting to me because I think these articles are basically saying you should feel bad for not going to see a bunch of crappy movies. Yeah, like I I agree with with your idea there, but I'm not too sure what this end game is like the idea that if we're supposed to feel bad what's going to happen are they going to stop making movies are they <laughs> like i i don't understand what the sort of end game of that idea is or, or presenting it us in this manner i think the hope is for me as a movie lover is that low box office means they can start making better movies and start taking their time i'm looking at the September release schedule. It was the big release um, this past weekend, uh, which a lot of the studios purposely, purposely steered clear of. And then it's a, it's a whole random mix of stuff. There's American Assassin and Mother this weekend. Um, the next weekend is uh, is Kingsman 2, which I'm excited for. Uh, Ninjago, which is the, the Le- another Lego movie. A week later, we have Flatliners, which I have zero interest in. But a bunch there's a lot of nationwide That's gonna releases coming hard. up. Yeah, I, it's going, and yeah, I know it's going to, and the trailers haven't done any services, but um, I think that, that it's just, I think that, that the studios need to think a little bit harder about their their release schedules, uh, put more time into making the movies. I think, again, coming back to Disney, it is a machine, the way they make their movies. A lot of it is sort of made by committee, but everything is very well planned. Even though J.J. Abrams was only now chosen as the director for Star Wars 9, they have already announced when the movie will start filming, which is next summer. They know, they know everything they need to do to make it ready to go, and they've been planning it and building the structure for it for years. And J.J. Abrams helped, Abrams helped build what the trilogy would look like anyway. So I think that there's certain things that there's a bit of a haphazard method of making movies, and instead of the studios taking blame for making bad movies, they want the blame to be passed on to moviegoers. Whereas instead, if no one sees the movie, don't make a movie like this anymore. Which I think, speaking to the Transformers thing, I think they'll they'll keep making those as much as uh, Michael Bay says he's he's going to stop. Yeah, it's weird. Like I. I think i watched the first one and maybe the third one i don't remember they're all a blur of crappy machine <laughs> porn, basically um 
But the way they sort of presented this marketing campaign for this new one, they made it kind of seem like they were stopping to do it. But like one thing I kind of mentioned earlier, and I think it's something that a lot of people either don't realize or forget about is this idea of um, intellectual property rights where they legally on their end legally have to keep making these movies if they want to retain the rights to them. Which is why we got so many damn Spider-Man reboots. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think, and, and I think if anyone is a big fan of Marvel movie history, um, the absolutely awful 90s Fantastic Four movie, and to its own extent, the recent Fantastic Four movie, it's just every time Fox is at risk of losing the, the rights, they're going to make a, a movie. I actually like the, the two from the mid-2000s. Um, they were kitschy and silly, and that's what Fantastic Four is to me um, from reading them growing up. But you're right. I think a lot of the times people don't realize that sometimes they just literally have to put a movie out. Um, and I think I don't think Transformers is at any risk um, in terms of the licensing. But yeah, sometimes it very much just seems, okay, if we don't do it now, it'd be a great question, for instance, for Marvel. What if they spent a whole year without a single movie? We know what we have several more coming, but what what if? What would that look like if there was no Thor, Black Panther, and Avengers next in, in the next 12 months? Um, I don't know what the impact would be, but if it ensured that all of them would be amazing that'd be great. I'm, I'm a huge video game person. And there's a, always a quote that goes around when video games get delayed. It's better that, uh, a, a, it's better a good game later than a bad game forever. And releasing that now, I totally ruined that quote, but that's basically what it means is that, yeah, maybe the studios need to take a better look at what they're actually doing to, to make more money. You look at the year of 2015, which was a massive box blocks office box office year, um, which I always like to go back to. And, and I've just looked at, at it now, the worldwide, um, 2015 was dis it was really Disney's year because of star Wars making 2 billion, but you had Jurassic world at 1.6 furious seven at 1.5 Avengers two, um, admittedly not an amazing movie, 1.4 and minions at 1.1. So these were, these were a lot of really successful. It was a very, very successful year, very successful top 10. Um, and I think that what happens is all the studios look at this and respond to it, which I think often is considered the Deadpool effect now with R-rated movies. Anyway, I just said a whole lot of different things. <laughs> I, I think the sort of conclusion to all this is that none of it really makes sense. The studios want to blame anyone but themselves and trying to guilt consumers into feeling bad is not going to work out because yeah. as we've noted with this august if you're not putting stuff out that's worthy of people to see people just aren't going to go like it's yeah. it's as simple as that if if there's not if something doesn't look good people aren't gonna go you know i haven't been to the movies in like two months i'll just see whatever people don't think that way and I used to think like that, I, um, but at the time, to be honest, there were better movies out. <laughs> I and, and you know, I, I think that the conversation sort of differs if you're talking about uh, a hardcore cinephile versus maybe a casual moviegoer. Casual moviegoer being someone that maybe only goes four times a year, and that's I'm probably being really liberal with that number. Um, with, uh, maybe more of the hardcore, not quite cinephile level, maybe going six times a year. If you're only right. choosing six movies a year, like you got to make sure you're hitting those six targets. Yeah. 
Um, so I guess I, maybe to kind of I want to think about this fall because now it's, I think Star Wars has helped it and also the November movie season has become both Oscars but now we're getting more and more um, kind of sci-fi movies and and more more kind of big big films in in late October November so I want to talk it's about almost the fall summer season. season part two exactly it's it's the sequel just like with everything else so for <laughs> me i think that there's i think in the next few weeks uh the lego ninjago movie will probably be fine because it's a lego movie they always do well um to be honest the next thing for me that i'm looking out for is blade runner it's not going to do amazing um i know that already because arrival didn't do amazing it's going to do better than that um but it's but i'm very hopeful it's going to be a good movie but when i'm looking at the films coming out this fall I'm not as thrilled as in previous years. I wonder if part of it is um, part of it is people just sort of pushing back, knowing what's there. Um, big example: November third is the new Thor movie. Um, everybody is really looking forward to that. I'm I'm really excited about it too. It's going to be very unique. The rest of the schedule that day is kind of weak. Um, you've got the the new Murder on the Orient Express, which is Kenneth Branagh's um, basically movie with literally everybody in it. But who knows? It may not do great. And then specifically. You have Justice League, um, and you have uh, and you have Star Wars, and those are there's obviously big December tentpoles too. But I think this is going to be an interesting fall that might really closely mimic what we've been seeing this summer. Is that if these great big movies are no good, uh, I, I'm going to pick a random example: Jumanji. It has the potential to be good. It has a great cast. It, the, the trailer was genuinely a bit funny, um, but it, it's very likely it could be a terrible film, and so. If, if we're looking at the end of December, and of course Star Wars is kind of keeping things going, but everyone, but everything else is doing poorly, and then they say, "Oh, it's just a repeat." What does that mean? Is it the same thing, or the, are we going to actually see a change in how movies are made? Yeah, and and no matter what happened in August or what happens in this fall winter season. Uh, for the next two years, pretty much everything is set in stone. Most of these movies that are co- coming out next year have already been filmed. They're already in post-production. I'm talking merely about these big tentpole movies. Uh, yeah. And they're already doing pre-production for 2019 movies, basically, where you're spending right. money on pre-advertising campaigns, things like that, where this idea that we're already talking about movies a year away from now is not an accident. It's because they're starting this pre-advertising, making stories about directors signing on and start dates for filming and things like that. Right. That's, that's true. It's not an accident. That's yeah, that's very true. I mean, it, it look at the, like wonder woman comes out on video shortly or just did. And of course, right at the same time, Patty Jenkins got her, uh, her contract for that movie and probably mm-hmm. others. So it, you're, you're very right that it does impact that. And it's kind of funny and scary looking at the 20, 2019 Wikipedia, 2019 in film, and how full the schedule already is um, of mostly sequels, but also some originals um, that are that are coming. It looks like right now Wicked is going to open against Star Wars Episode Nine, which is probably a gigantic mistake. Um, but you're right. Yeah, it is pretty set in stone. And then where do we see, is it the, the 2020 season we start seeing these changes or is there really a way to get those smaller films more airtime? I come back to Children of Men, which was a film festival. It's, it did the film festivals first, and then it came out in general release uh, in January with a limited, limited like New York, LA release. Um, I don't know if even people would pay attention to movie like movies like that. I think everyone now just focuses on the biggest movies, which I think is a shame because um, even something like Baby Driver, I knew about it. I'm very glad that I saw it, but I don't know if I would have known much about it if essentially you didn't say, watch the trailer, we're going to see this movie. 
And so, and I think there's a lot of really good movies that are a little bit smaller that are falling under. Yeah, it's, that's interesting. I kind of forgot about that baby driver point when I was bringing it up to you and our group of friends. Uh, all of you were like, which, which one is, is that again? And I was like, oh, it's from the director that did Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and uh, The World's End. All, all of you were like, wow, yeah, I, I obviously know who that is. And so like the name Edgar Wright definitely rang a bell, but it was that sort of movie that, that slipped in the cracks just a little bit where you kind of have yeah. that bit of an auteur in the vein of, uh, a smaller budget Christopher Nolan who kind of does their own thing outside of the system, uh, which was evident when Wright left the Ant-Man movie because he, they didn't want to go with his vision on that, which, you know, I applaud yeah. him greatly for being being able to walk away from would have probably have been his biggest paycheck of his career ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, his career is not over yet, but I think actually that's a great point because I was just checking in its production budget is 35 million. So I would say that's almost in the same category. I think this is one of those rare things when Warner brothers and new line looked at it and said, actually let's really get this out there. Um, and, and it, so maybe that was the, that was the reverse thing where a smaller movie really got picked up and really, it was promoted incredibly well, especially in Toronto with the creepy mannequins downtown. Um, but, uh, they were very creepy, but, um, but that, it was a smaller movie. It was even something where the director basically wasn't told that they would get a sequel unless the first one did well. And, and by the nature of the story, it needs us, it needs, it's basically a second part, which they're now already making. Yes. Um, so I think that, that maybe, Maybe what we will see, even though the schedule is planned for the next couple of years, maybe next summer, and this is where we'll probably notice it, and maybe we could do a, a post-mortem follow-up next year, is we're going to see smaller movies given more attention, both in marketing, but also in kind of buzz and in kind of uh, putting it front and center in people's schedules, when something like The Dark Tower, which had a massive budget comparatively, just wasn't marketed super great and just flopped. So that, that could be maybe what the solution is going to be in the near future. Yeah, this I like this idea of a solution of being sort of the more auteurist directors being given comparatively big budgets for them, but still middle of the road budgets in the range of, uh, 40 to a hundred million, um, hundred million, obviously being a bit of an outlier as far as someone like Christopher Nolan's able to, uh, guarantee a return on investment, uh, yeah. with being really quality films. I wonder if, someone like Patty Jenkins has kind of officially written her blank check for being able to do those types of movies going forward since she made the studio so much money with, with Wonder Woman. Uh, and then you have people like um, Edgar Wright as well, who can kind of uh, go forward. Now, now, sort of speaking of it, I was actually really worried that this movie was going to be terrible. I also don't really have plans on seeing it because I don't like horror movies, but originally it was going to be directed by Carrie Fukunga, who did. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, who did uh, True Detective the first season, yeah. directed that, and has also done quite a few really interesting low-budget movies. And it's kind of like the next hot thing going around. And he backed out because they kind of balked at uh, what he wanted to do, and because it was going to be really out there. But they ended up. Yeah 
for the budget that he was requesting as well. They ended up keeping almost the exact same script and brought a different director. I was like, "Mm, that's probably not going to be great because the same thing sort of happened with Ant-Man where it was still enjoyable, but you know, there is definitely noticeable decline in quality than if it was Edgar Wright directing instead of Peyton Reed. But you know what? It seems like they sort of realized what they needed to do and let the director whose name I'm blanking on right now do what he wanted to do. And the movie is quite successful now. Andy Machete. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. And I think, but, but it, you're right. I think that's, it's one of those weird situations. I, I see it the exact same thing with um, the Star Wars Han Solo movie. I love Phil or Chris Miller. I've been following them for more than 20 years when they started with an absurd um, animated show called Clone High, probably my favorite show of all time. Um, and that level of humor has really shown through in, in all of their movies, 21 Jump Street, the Lego movie, all those things. And it could have gone, gone really well with, with Han Solo. But it's also Han Solo's coming out in, I think, uh, 14 months. And they're still filming it with Ron Howard at the helm now. So that was a, that's a very different thing because it's a massive budget. But um, it's something where I think somebody got cold feet. Uh, I've read all sorts of different things. I don't want to speculate because no one really knows what the truth is of what happened with with them leaving the production. But um, it's it, it's it's sort of it seems like um, trying to right the ship again. It's Disney again, so the, they they try to know what they're doing or, or make give a, give an appearance of that. Um, but then I'm I, I my mind my mind goes to um, just, I know this isn't really as related, but Alex Gar- Garland, um, who I, hit one of the most anticipated movies for me is An- Annihilation, which comes out in February, which is another complete dead time for movies. Um, but interesting, I didn't know he wrote a lot of movies before he started directing with Ex Machina. Um, and I think that he's on the same kind of track of, uh, of, that we seem to be seeing of make a smaller movie, make another smaller movie, maybe, and then get a big movie. But then at the same time, Annihilation looks like it could be a, a big budget one. I mean, you have Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Rodriguez, and Tessa Thompson are the, are the four leads. Um, so that can't be cheap. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, it, 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 a lot of people are probably drawn to this, this filmmaker too. So I think we're going to see a shift in that model. Um, we're going to see, I think we might start moving away from that kind of, small movie and then now you get a big tentpole i think josh trank was probably the starting of that with fantastic four which was another summer flop um and i think that we're going to see hopefully we're going to see different things and like you said we're going to see a bit more of the focus on the auteur side as well yeah i i would i would love that to be the case um you know i think at this point we're just kind of going around speculating so i think (laughs) There, you know, there really isn't much else we can really say. You know, there are some interesting movies going on, and then we have some very opinionated thoughts on the way the studios are kind of going forward. And I think you had some some great sort of proposals. Um, so if you thought we were either on the right track or if we're completely off base, you know what? Uh, let me know. Um, you can go to liveandlimbo.com where I'm going to have some links to the things we were talking about, including the Hollywood Reporter article about the box office, uh, a really cool infographic about, um, the, uh, the top summer movies of all time. Uh, this movie pass article where it mentions how many subscribers they have and what their business model is and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DGAPA. You can follow the show at Live in Limbo. Uh, Sammy, I really want to thank you for once again coming on and, and sharing your insight and your wisdom with me. My pleasure. I hope it was insightful and wise. <laughs> <laughs> it always is when I'm talking with you, and I uh, I hope to have you on again soon.
For sure. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a good one.